Hi, everyone. I'm Greg, the person she was talking about before. Um, something else that you should probably know about me before I start is that May 29th, my wife and I celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary. Yeah, it's pretty rad. We have uh, four daughters. They are 16, 13, 11, and 8. And uh, usually there's some kind of like comment out of that. Uh, but it's, a, it's amazing. I'm loving um, my family. I'm loving this season of life that I'm in because it's demanding me to grow. And uh, I learned once that, and ongoingly I've learned, when you want to grow and you want to know how to be faithfully present to the world that you're in, to uh, spend as much time as possible with Jesus. And that's ultimately what I want to talk about tonight. I was given a passage uh, starting in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 that is profoundly interesting for our time. We'll get into that. Um, But the What's happening is Paul is not just saying things, he's embodying, he's embodying something, he's interacting them in a way, and then also saying things that's all relevant and really powerful. And he starts off in this book of 1 Corinthians with encouragement and challenge, which is sort of the marker of a healthy community. When you enter into a community and you listen to the conversations amongst the leadership in a church, for example, you listen to the leadership and you listen to the congregation, you'll hear patterns of encouragement, but you'll also hear patterns of honest challenge, high challenge and high support. It's the mark of a a healthy culture. And Paul is not only talking about that, he's modeling it. And he's he's talking about, he's bringing a challenge related to a situation that was developing in the church. A little bit about that situation in the context of the church. Um, There was a lot of division and a lot of quarreling. People were really getting at each other. And it was rooted in a pattern that was developing that people were um, developing very strong allegiances towards particular leaders. And they weren't agreeing about which leaders um, deserved a certain level of allegiance. Some were celebrating this pastor or another pastor. I'm identifying, this is my guy. No, this is my guy because this is his opinion on this topic. Well, this is his opinion on that topic. And they were becoming religious about their allegiance to people. In human nature, that kind of leads into some problems. Around that situation, this church was in an environment in a city where that was uh, very dysfunctional. It's complicated, living wisely in a... Well, I don't remember how the title went, but things were crazy, kind of. There was a lot of dysfunctional behavior going on, and the church was trying to figure out how do we navigate this, and in the middle of that wild environment where there's a lot of disagreement as to how humans ought to live, and there's a lot of sinful behaviors that are destructive to people, the church is trying to figure out how do we be present to this. In the midst of that, division and quarreling was surfacing inside the church. I apologize that the sermon isn't very relevant to us today, but let's stick to it, right? So, Paul, I'm going to 
first, I'm going to tell you about the introduction. The first three verses, Paul is basically saying, hey, I wrote this, and this is for anybody who's calling on Jesus, especially you, church in Corinth, but anybody who's calling on Jesus, this is for you. And then I'm going to read verses 4 um, through 17 in a second, but before I read it, a little context again, um, pay attention to what he does, because the first few verses, it's like he, walk into, he walks into a room, if you could imagine, this isn't literally what's happening, but it's sort of like this. It's like he walks in the room and a bunch of people are arguing. There's different camps about opinions of certain issues or which leaders are the right leaders. This is my guy, that's my guy, like that's my woman, that's your woman. This sounds weird, but like, you know, like people are arguing about who's who and what's what and and Paul comes in and he's like hey everybody everybody look over here remember this remember what God did remember what God is doing remember what God is gonna do for you who disagrees with you and you who disagrees with you, remember what God has done for all of us? Oh, look at that. Let's, let's bask in that for a moment. You guys remember that? Okay, now that we're all looking in the same direction, I want to bring some challenge. So this is what Paul is doing. I'm going to start reading um, verse 4 through 17, and you can try to follow along with that idea. All right, he starts, everybody, everybody. Verse four, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas or Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so no one can say they were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So much beauty and goodness in this passage. And I just want to reflect on it. So we're just going to work through these passages and what they're saying to us, what he's saying. Going back to verse 4. Again, in this section from verses 4 to 9, he's basically saying, remember what God has done. Remember what God is doing. Remember what God will do. And in these five sentences, he says Jesus' name five times. 
It's a pattern of Paul. Jesus is very important. He's drawing their attention to him. Similarly in Philippians 2 that we'll talk about later, um, Philippians chapter 2, he's telling the church to um, do the hard work of unity, have the same attitude of Jesus, and then he goes on to describe what Jesus has done and what he will do. It's a pattern in his writing. But he starts off here. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. So Paul is reminding them, do you remember, do you remember that, that God has given you grace, all of you? And you know how you guys, he's setting this up. You're like, you know how you guys, you don't get along and you're even, you even sort of uh, maybe even despise somebody or somebody really irritates you, like both of you. Both of you receive this grace from God. What is grace? Grace is an unmerited gift. A good gift that somebody doesn't actually deserve. And he says that this good gift that we've received, which is essentially new life, new life, a right standing with God, what Christ did on the cross, making it possible for us to no longer be under the power of sin and death, but to have new life. This grace, this new, new life was given to you freely as a gift. You know when it was given to you as a gift? You guys ever read the book of Romans? Romans chapter 5 says that um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while humanity was offending God, he pursued us identified with us by putting on flesh and made himself a sacrifice so that we could have life that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And that life was a gift. It was a free gift. Romans 2 talks about how God led us to repentance through kindness. Remember that? Church in Corinth, do you remember what he's done? That free gift, that grace, that right standing that you have with God? And did you, you remember how uh, when you received that gift and that new life and you started living into it, it enriched your life? All of a sudden you were thinking about things that you normally didn't think about and you were reading things you normally wouldn't have read and you, the way that you talked started to grow in wisdom and insight and curiosity. Your lives have been enriched, all of you. Even you who disagrees with you, you've been enriched through this. You remember receiving that gift? Remember that, guys? Yeah, I, I have to just testify to the fact that that is my story. You know, later on in this chapter, he'll talk about, do you guys remember before you knew Christ, you weren't very special? He says this to them. The guys weren't very impressive, but now you kind of are, all of you. Even though you're really messed up, there's still good stuff happening. There's, this, there's something growing in you. When I started thinking about God and wondering about this stuff and sneaking this old fat green Bible into my dorm room that a priest had given me because I was curious. And I started reading this thing. I started thinking about new things. I started meeting new people. I started, uh, one friend of mine, um, new friend through this curiosity of faith, started bringing different books from like uh, Dostoevsky and Kierkegaard and T.S. Eliot. And he's like, you got to read this stuff. And I'm sort of reading. I'm like, what is this? I've never read a book in my life in high school. I pretended, but now I'm actually reading them. And it came from this place of, it's like somebody planted a new life in me. 
I testify to that because that is powerful and good and true. And it's what he's done for us, all of us. No matter what, you, no matter how much you disagree with each other, that's what he's done for all of us. And he's, remember that? He says, you remember that, guys? But then he continues, he's like, it's not just a gift that was given to you. There's something happening now. He says, therefore, in verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He's like, not only did you receive new life, but he has given you the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in you. The great mystery that God would take up residence in our hearts. And through the Holy Spirit, not only would the life of Christ live be in us, forming us, but we'd be given spiritual gifts to what end? Uh, <laughs> You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus to be revealed. As you, as you live in anticipation for the revealing of Jesus. And that word revealing, the Greek word that's translated to reveal, is the idea of uncovering something. Pulling off a blanket and revealing it. And the Bible talks about a few different ways that Jesus is revealed. One of those is in the second coming, a promise in scripture that Christ will return and the evil and the pain and the confusion will be rolled back and things will be made right by a good, holy, loving God. But the Bible, specifically 1 Corinthians, talks about Christ being revealed in the body of believers. In you and in me as individuals. Romans 2 even talks about how we know through nature what God has done and who God is. There's a revealing of Christ that we are gifted and equipped to be part of. Meaning, not only did you receive a gift, but you're receiving a gift. A gifts, gifts of the Spirit. Where you participate now in the kingdom of God here on earth. Your life matters. To what end? That Christ would be revealed through you, through your relationships, through your interactions. That's the point. That's what you're equipped for. That's why Christ is in you. That's why you have spiritual gifts is so that he can be revealed. But notice the flip side of this, which is an interesting setup to the challenge that's coming. You're equipped for a life that's preoccupied. I use that word good in a good way, positive, preoccupied with the revealing of Jesus. The inverse is also true. You are not equipped for a life that's preoccupied with everything else. Let that settle in for a second. We are being gifted with the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, spiritual gifts that are meant to be activated in the pursuit of and anticipation of the revealing of Jesus. That's what we are gifted for by God. Our spiritual gifts are not superpowers to help us win arguments about the causes and leaders that we are preoccupied with. We're not even equipped and designed to live that way. Paul's like, you remember that? You remember what God is doing now? You're being gifted. And then he keeps going here in verse 8. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful 
who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is the third part of the good news. The good news, the gospel. It's you have a right standing with God because of what Christ has done. Second part of that, you, you live with the spirit in you in this world, being faithfully present to God's kingdom coming about now. It's not on your shoulders and you're not the one accomplishing all of it. God is doing that, but we get to participate in his mission now. The ministry of Jesus comes, shows up through us. But he said, that's not the end of the good news. The, the other part of the good news is that one day Christ will return. Things will be restored, and on that day, we stand before God blameless, not because you got it right, but because of what he's done, and he actually points that out here, you will be blameless on that day. He's saying, like, he's reminding us, you're not going to get it all right. You're not going to be right about all the things. You're not going to behave in a way that's in line with the perfect design of humanity. So therefore, it's... The good news is that it's not on you to get it all right. But this is the part of that gift. You will be blameless on that day because of him. But then he says, God is faithful. In other words, in all of the mess we see around us, your hope is to be in God. God the Father who's invited you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Now there's there's, there's a depth to that statement about Fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship in the Greek, this is some, some of these words, the, tr- the translation is good, but like some of the words have this weight to them that it's kind of helpful to understand what the original Greek word might have been meaning. And the word fellowship it actually is a word closer to the idea of intimacy, like how a husband and a wife would know one another. He's reminding them, you're the, you're the bride of Christ and you will know him. What does Jesus say in John 17, verse 3, when he's praying for the church? He prays that the church um, would know God the Father and Jesus Christ and, and know eternal life. What it, and then he says, which is knowing Jesus. He's equating knowing God with eternal life, and he's reminding them, This is a bit of a paradoxical thing. I'm going to just take a a minute on this. You think about the good news of eternal life. The reason eternal life doesn't get boring or fizzle out or just become monotonous is because we have an eternal infinite God um, that we can spend eternity always discovering, knowing more. That means humanity resurrected in the final days And we enter into eternal life and knowing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we're in a place of eternal discovery and eternal knowing, eternally falling in love, not just with God and with each other. Paul is reminding them, this is the good news. So I've I've been emphasizing this um, for a little bit because everybody, now that we're all like, now that now that we're remembering, like remember, this is true of us, the church, can I just, I want to bring a challenge to you now. And Paul brings a challenge and he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And then he goes on to describe what's going on that you remember. So, 
Some of you are saying, I'm loyal to this person, I'm loyal to that person, I'm loyal to this person, and it's creating all kinds of fighting. And, and he's like, listen, I'm not trying to be Christian famous. I'm not here to see how many people, how many followers I can get to me. I'm, bare, I'm basically just standing in a door that I didn't even open saying, we're all welcome to go in, and you guys are gathering around different people who are standing at the door saying, you're all welcome in. And we're saying, I like the way he stands at the door and says, you're welcome in. And I like his opinion about this thing. Like, well, no, I actually like this guy who's standing at an open door that he didn't even open, who's saying, you can guys can go in here. It's like the, that's the picture. It's pretty pathetic, but we become really fixated on these things. And he's like, I'm challenging you guys to do the hard work of finding unity, that there be no divisions among you. Let's break this down. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, okay, verse 10, that you all of you agree with one another in what you say. See that, all those words? All of you agree with one another in what you say. In the Greek, it's only one word that means to speak. Theologians interpreting this are like, this is the gist of what's ultimately saying. If you read an older NIV version, it actually says that all of you agree with one another. And then the newer NIV version is saying, agree with one another in what you say, bringing it more close to the original Greek. What's going on is, I want you to actually talk about this stuff. And I want you to do the hard work of processing it together so that we can agree on what are the essentials and what are the non-essentials. And a quote that my my pastor used to say, um, unity in the essentials, Liberty in the non-essentials, and in all things, charity. Do the hard work of talking with the purpose of there being no divisions. The word divisions in the Greek means to tear. It's like we're supposed to hold up a picture of what the life of Jesus and the good news of Jesus is, but we keep tearing it up because we can't find unity in the main thing. We're making non-essential things like which leader has the best opinions and which leader is the right one to be up there. We're preoccupied with things other than the gospel, other than the good news, other than Jesus. Do the hard work of talking and processing together so that there aren't any divisions. Because when there's divisions, we create debris. And debris makes it harder for people to see the point. And then he says... That there be no divisions, but that you perfect, be perfectly united in mind and thought. The word mind is like intellect, that we would grow intellectually together. The word thought is actually a better way of saying that would be like judgment or purpose or conviction. Do the hard work of knowing, talking, growing with the purpose of not having divisions. Grow intellectually together and grow in your sense of purpose so that you can link arms with someone that you disagree with and walk out of here saying, we love each other and we love Jesus and we even disagree on some stuff, but we agree the ultimate purpose of why we're here and we find value in the fact that we actually disagree. He annoys me sometimes, but I've learned a lot that I didn't think I would learn because I'm learning to be actually present to the conversation. Paul's like, do that hard work. And he's, this is not the only time he writes this way. But what does it look like? What does it look like to play this out in real life? And I want to hit on these things briefly. Like in, like in, um, 
Philippians. I'm not going to go into it. Um, you guys remember second, second chapter of Philippians. He says, you know, do the hard work of unity and have the same attitude of Christ. Here, he's doing the same thing. He's emphasizing the life of Christ and what he's done and saying, be present in this way. And if we just go back to verses 4 through Nine, and ask the question, how has Christ been present to us? Therefore, that's a roadmap for how we can be present. We know right away in verse four, he talks about grace, 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 a good gift. So I'm going to set this up real quick and then talk about these different points. I'm in a period of life where I'm, I'm really very intentionally stepping in to studying and having conversations with very controversial topics, the hot buttons. I'm, I'm studying transgender issues. I'm studying abortion. I'm studying race issues. I'm studying politics. And I'm, and I'm engaging in these conversations with people I agree with and people I don't agree with. And I'm asking questions and I'm learning and I'm sharing what I'm, um, what I'm learning. And I'm telling you there is no context where this stops being true. That we are called and able to, pr- to bring grace to a conversation. A good gift that somebody might not even deserve. And one like simple handhold of grace could be in every conversation. A mentor told me this once a long time ago, and I realized that it was just an imitation of Jesus. He's like, in every conversation, no matter what, don't give up until you found something you like about the other person. Like grace, I'm going to give you grace. But the second thing is humility. He reminds them, your life is enriched. You have insights that you wouldn't have had if it wasn't for God's work in your life. Remember that. And remember the person in the church that you disagree with also is talking to God and also is seeing things that they wouldn't see otherwise. Therefore, we should have enough humility to listen to each other and pursue each other and identify with each other's stories to wear the other person's story and let it affect ours. Let it affect our opinions. Have, be humble enough to wear somebody else's story for a minute. Enter into their con- that conversation in a new way. And then he talks about spiritual gifts. Um, 1 Corinthians 14.3, Paul writes about how the gift of prophecy, these spiritual gifts are meant for building up the church. Remember that the point of this conversation, even if I hardcore disagree with you, I am honoring and embodying the gospel when I choose to make it a goal to build that other person up. It's not just a nice thing. We are called to operate that way. And ultimately, in that conversation, to have hope that God is our hope and not that conversation. I can assure you that God is your hope and the hope of the world not the conversation you're having with someone who disagrees with you on Facebook or in person or anywhere else. The weight of the world is not on that conversation. But instead, if we're preoccupied with the life of Jesus being revealed, what would it look like to embody a hope that transcends that conversation? And I want to emphasize that Some of you might be really passionate about certain causes or leaders or things right now. Um, I'm not saying to remove yourself from those conversations. I'm saying be present in a way that's more preoccupied with Jesus than with winning your cause. Because in the end, the gospel is embodied in your preoccupation with Christ, 
not with our preoccupation with a particular victory in whatever column it is. But if you think about the irony of it, um, I will say, though, that said, some of us need to detox, for real. Some of us need detox, big time. And, and I would describe it this way. Some of us would be wise to practice speaking the Lord's prayer more than our opinions about whatever causes create the most anxiety and fear in us. You hear, you hear that economy? The economy of speaking the Lord's prayer more than you speak your opinion about whatever cause is creating the most anxiety and fear in you. It's a healthy untangling. Trust me, I've had to do it. Untangle from this thing. Um, last couple comments here about practical. You guys with me still? Are we okay? Um, gospel is really good news because it frees us, right? And it frees us even from the mess we're in. It frees us from it, you guys. You don't have to be angry and anxious. You don't have to be. The hope is not on you. The hope is on not, not on you changing everybody's opinions. But I can tell you, I am, I am so involved. I desperately want this world to be safer and better for my four daughters. Desperately. And I am so, you log the hours of volunteering and mentoring and I'm in it. But I am telling you, I tried to change the whole world and remembered I'm not in a relationship with the world. I'm betrothed to Jesus. It's not my job to fix it all, but I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be in it in the way that you want me to be in it. And I bet you that we'll make a far greater impact and move the needle much farther if we untangle from the division and anxiety and simply be present in the way God has created us to be present. That means a few few practical tips here to just latch onto. Maybe. Um, Be a student of Jesus. First and foremost, Be preoccupied with it. Be distracted by Jesus. Be in a community with people who don't hold your opinion. It's okay if some of them do. It's okay if a lot of them do. But please don't leave if there's a bunch of people who disagree with you. And please don't think finding unity means going to a church where everyone thinks the same way. That's dangerous. Do the hard work, Paul says. Don't just run away from the division. Do the hard work of finding unity. The Bible, please read it. Read the gospel. of. If you don't know where to go, just read the gospel of Mark and don't stop. Get to the end, read it again. Get to the end, read it again. Five years from now, ask me, what should I do next? Just keep reading it. Jump into other places, but become familiar with Jesus in the scriptures. And I mentioned the Lord's Prayer. I found the Lord's Prayer to be a profound tool. The more I say it in the mornings and reflect on each line, the more entangled I become and the less anxious I become. The more able I am to think clearly and be present. And and the last one here is make it a point to try to fall in love with people who disagree with you. Make it a point to try to fall in love with people who disagree with you. And then talk about the stuff that's stirring you up. The gospel is good news. Be free, guys. Be free. Receive the gospel. And no, last thing is I'm about to pray here. This is not about bending your actions with sheer will to look like Jesus. This is about saying, I, I, I 
I can't. I just want a new, I want a new beginning. I want that gift. I want that spirit and I want that hope. And rest in it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your good news. It is complicated. And this world is kind of crazy. I thank you for your, for your faithfulness. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for Paul's boldness, his encouragement and his challenge, his choice of words. And here we are 2,000 years later reading them as if he wrote them for us. Thank you for inspiring these letters that to them were so present to a specific situation then. And did, they, did they have any clue that these words would be valuable to a bunch of Christians the year 2022? Thank you so much, God. We are humbled by your love and by your wisdom. And we are sorry that we, 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 all of us, sometimes become preoccupied with things that create misalignment. They get us out of, out of order. Forgive us for missing the mark. Humble our hearts and help us to be present in the way that you are present to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen Greg. Thank you so much.